0: You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 12th of October 2019 on Monocle 24. It's Saturday the 12th of October. This is Monocle's House View. I'm Emma Nelson and a very warm welcome to today's program. Coming up I am now Absolutely convinced that both Ireland and Britain want there to be an agreement. Uh, That's in the interests of Ireland and the United Kingdom and the European
1: Union as a whole. Um, And I do see a pathway uh, towards uh, an agreement in the coming weeks.
0: Could Ireland's Taoiseach unlock Brexit? We'll discuss the trials and potential triumphs of Leo Varadkar. Also ahead, what can the EU do in response to the Turkish military offensive in northeastern Syria? We'll ask if the bloc has become the world's policeman after Trump's America can no longer be relied upon. All that in the day's newspapers too. Monocle's House View starts now. And joining me in the studio, Florence Spiederman, who's the London Bureau Chief for Agence France Presse, and Vincent McAvenney, UK correspondent for Euronews. Welcome both to the studio. Morning. Good morning. Right, let us begin with the Irish tea shock. When Leo Varadkar was photographed strolling along a tree-lined path, smiling alongside Britain's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, the world wondered if finally a breakthrough over arguably the toughest part of Brexit had been found. What to do about the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is not only a trade issue, it's a problem that could mean the difference between peace and a return to the bloody violence of the Troubles. And Mr Varadkar, the man charged with standing up for the Republic has appeared to be the key right who's going to explain what the problem is as briefly as they can you have to do this quite a lot don't you so yeah so um, if you wouldn't mind recapping because um, it's it's very difficult to get it's very easy to get left behind in this thing in terms of explanation it so is, yeah. um, Vincent. Would you mind take the floor and explain what the problem is? (laughs) Okay,
1: but the first thing to say is that we don't actually know what this current proposal is that they have come to. They went to that meeting in Merseyside uh, with uh, managing expectations very heavily. It's one of the only prime ministerial meetings i have ever seen where the media was not told the location and no one was invited. There was no pool camera or anything. So, they seem to have come to a possible arrangement. And what we can discern from the Prime Minister yesterday refusing twice to say that Northern Ireland would be leaving the EU Customs Union is that they have gone back to a plan uh, which Boris Johnson, 18 months ago, absolutely dismissed, uh, which Jacob Rees-Mogg called Cretinus, which the ERG, which is the group that's kind of now backing... They've taken Boris to number 10, are kind of reverse ferreting on. And that would basically be that Northern Ireland despite the DUP's adamant saying that has to have the exact same relationship as the rest of the UK even though it has you know at the moment abortion is legal there and same-sex marriage is legal there it is already a different place uh, what they would do is stay in the EU customs union but also simultaneously stay in the new UK customs union Therefore, the border would be in the Irish Sea, not on land between Northern Ireland and the Republic, which we, I've, every time we've talked about this issue, I've said to you, there is no technological solution for this. That border is 300 miles long with 200 crossings, more than the eastern flank of the whole of the EU. There are roads which wind between, there are waterways. There was never any way to create a border that would work. And also, even if you could, it would be the centre of new violence. There was no way of getting around that. So this border will be in the Irish Sea the UK will take uh, if the tariff is different on a product from the new UK customs union to the new EU customs union the UK will collect the tariff on behalf of the EU and pay it back I mean it is going to be that is the simplest version I can explain (laughs) of it um, well, it's, 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 it's like <laughs> Hong Kong, one country, two systems. I like, guess. Uh, no, you, yeah. you know,
2: I've been we, we, as you said, Emma. We, we are trying to explain this uh, to the external world, and uh, my news editor, after three years, are still asking. Uh, by the way, what's the backstop about? So uh, <laughs> I
0: must confess, I do occasionally think I don't know what the backstop is, um, and and it's that whole thing that I've had it explained to me a hundred times, and then I understand it, and then I don't. So this is why, arguably, all these it suddenly becomes all about personality politics because the the technical part of it is is incredibly difficult to fathom, which is why I wonder everybody has just looked at Leo Varadkar and said, well, you look like you might be able to
2: sort this out. Yeah, well, I mean, th- th- this is a bit new because uh, until uh, this recent meeting between uh, Johnson and Varadkar, everybody was thinking, OK, uh, this negotiation will collapse. There are two different positions. The EU won't budge. The UK won't budge. And now suddenly, uh, without all the details being known, <laughs> as Nick tried to explain very well, uh, suddenly there is kind of a glimmer of hope. So uh, the, the idea is, uh, are they ready to compromise and to, to, to give somebody leeway uh, to this discussion? So, uh, also, the problem for Leo Varadkar is if there is no deal, uh, and he doesn't, I know he doesn't like to be asked the question, then what will happen at the border? I mean, the British, British said uh, we won't have any control Any checks about taking
1: back control Uh, So
2: uh, that means, uh, yeah, but it's Ireland, (laughs) it's uh, uh, the Good Friday Agreement, so there Mm -hmm. are like higher uh, goals. Uh, But then the EU said, we will set control. So actually, the one who are going to to, to create a border is is, is the EU, is Baratka himself. So I guess he's in a strange position because no deal is not actually an option for him. So I I guess, yeah, there is maybe a glimmer of hope because of this because they have to find something as complicated and as controlled as it can be but saving faces on both sides a bit of uh, border in the Northern uh, Irish Sea but a bit of border also I, I don't know I mean how they manage that is really up to the EU they are, they are very good for and, that. And,
1: but the key to all of this is is Northern Ireland itself which has a very fractured political scene which is the parties are all tied up in the historical legacies of the conflict and whether you're a unionist and republican you know the British government's weren't meant to be showing any favour under the Good Friday Agreement to specific parties in Northern Ireland, but they went into that confidence and supply agreement with the DUP because they had to. The DUP are the only ones going along with the government, so the proposals the government put down last week which would have two borders, the DUP were the only ones that went for it, all of the other political parties didn't, and every business organisation in Northern Ireland was against it. This is the problem, you've had a, a suspended parliament for over two years now in Northern Ireland, you've got the DUP who are quite fanatical, quite difficult to deal with uh, and are also facing you know, their own problems with their own constituents because of there's, there's been an issue in Northern Ireland about a, a, a scheme, a government scheme that was mismanaged, the report's going to come out on that so it is an incredibly difficult situation there and it's not clear yet whether the DUP will back this we've got to walk through the week a little bit and be like Well, even if Boris Johnson manages to clutch victory from the jaws of defeat by doing an absolute U-turn by, you know, all of the stuff that he dismissed and the reason that he left as the foreign secretary, if he suddenly just was lying the whole time and he knows this is the only way to do it and he does it just to stay in power... Can, wonder... A week In a week's time, Super Saturday, are, has he got enough MPs to do it? Because the DUP aren't on board yet, it seems, and no, he's they've, running they've a said, um,
0: This morning they said they wouldn't ed- support any deal to trap Northern Ireland in the customs union or single market, which is exactly what appears to have been done in this meeting between Leo Varadkar and Boris Johnson. Now, I was actually quite surprised about the outcome of the meeting because Boris Johnson has the skills when... He's in full flow to charm the birds from the trees. And I wonder whether Boris Johnson had done a charm offensive on Leo Varadkar. What appears to have happened is that almost the opposite has happened, even though many people suggest that Leo Varadkar isn't the most charming of souls.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this whole Boris has a charm thing, he... With a certain generation, with a certain type of people, people that like to hear his afternoon speeches, yeah, he does. But for many young people, it just seems faux. It seems weird and straight. He's a slightly odd character. And he made... when he went back into Parliament uh, he had trouble the fellow 2015 generation and and if you look at who supported who in the election a lot of the newer Conservative MPs so the 2010, 2015, 2017 intake have never warmed to him Uh, they do not really like him he's never spent any time trying to build the ranks within the party he just had the kind of more senior older echelons of it that then brought them into line with him so you know his charm is sometimes a little bit overrated with people kind of younger than you know 45 which is Leo Varadkar.
0: Um, what must the likes of the other leaders think of Leo Varadkar? If you see, him, Emmanuel Macron has come across as quite an impatient in all this. He's the one who's pushing, uh, whether, you know, for, for whatever reasons he's doing publicly, he's the one who's sort of pushing the United Kingdom towards the door. When you have a character like Varadkar, who arguably has pushed the Republic of Ireland's image way, way above its height, he is... At, literally at the front line of the most difficult part of Brexit because you cannot move Ireland, you can't do anything about it, it is there how, how do you think um, the rest of the, of the EU leaders are going to be looking, looking
2: at Varadkar and thinking he's someone who we really need to pay attention to I think they need to pay attention to Ireland. I'm not sure it's the question of personality. I mean, whoever is uh, uh, at the head of Ireland has to to go with the EU to 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 follow them. I mean, they, they they need their support. Ireland in itself is not strong enough, like to 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 do it on its own. So whoever would be, I mean, Varadkar has his own style, as uh, we were joking before. Like he doesn't look like the happy and smiling guy, etc. But he's doing the job. I mean, he's profiting of this occasion. And yes, I mean. This is the whole Brexit story that, that put Ireland in this situation, as you say, like it becomes such an important country suddenly, but they did nothing themselves to, to reach this point. So and whatever happens also, like on Brexit, there is also something which really I wonder, even if they find deal, even if they find a way to have satisfied everybody, then will it be voted by, by the parliament? And that's the next step. And this is also a crucial one when you think about the whole
1: Brexit story. I think it was remarkable yesterday that an article came out in The Telegraph, a comment piece that many people took issue with. But it was that thing of someone finally saying it, especially in The Telegraph, is that like... Do we even want to keep Northern Ireland? Because it costs more to 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 maintain Northern Ireland than it does to stay in the European Union. Far more. It is uh, the most economically deprived of the four nations in the UK. Um, You know there are there's obviously a long and complicated history, uh, but there are you know Northern Ireland didn't vote for Brexit because it knew that in the referendum, this would open up a whole can of worms. And 20 years after the Good Friday Agreement, things had finally kind of settled. A new generation had grown up without those troubles, without that kind of conflict. And this has taken them so far back. But also, you know, Brexit, it's not... you know, this has led to real soul searching in Ireland, in Northern Ireland as well. You know, that in 2014, the Scottish referendum led to a lot of soul searching about unionism. This has been another big thing of thinking about it. And, you know, whether there would at one point be a border poll, whether it would be, you know, reintegrated, the motives behind everyone was Ireland being so strong because it thought it was a chance to reunify. It is, you know, an incredibly complicated issue that I think British politicians have really struggled with. It's exposed at the highest ranks of our government, a lack of understanding of the situation, the tensions, the people. You know, we had a Northern Ireland secretary who was stupid enough to actually say, taking the job, I didn't know that Republicans voted one way and unionists voted another way. You know, it's shown a real complacency in British treatment of Northern Ireland.
0: You're listening to Monocle's House View. Joining me today are Vincent McIverney, who's a UK correspondent for Euronews, and Florence Biderman, who's the London Bureau Chief for Agence France Press. Now, the scale and ferocity of Turkey's military action against Kurds Kurds based in northeast Syria has taken everybody by surprise. Even Donald Trump, whose withdrawal of American troops from the region were acting as a green light to the Turkish President Erdogan, now seems to have had second thoughts. And the EU has reacted with a threat of sanctions. So who can now become the world's policeman? Florence, we have this desperate situation, don't we, where the withdrawal of... 50 US soldiers from northeastern Syria led to absolute chaos being metered upon towns and villages.
2: Yeah, but I think it's not a complete surprise because a few months ago Erdogan had already said "Mm, uh, we would like to have this uh, security zone at the border. And I mean, it's a constant in, in, in Turkish politics. I mean, since decades like I've been based in Ankara as bureau chief for AFP and I remember the first story I wrote 20 years ago was Turkey threatening Syria to uh, bomb Syria uh, if they don't do uh, nothing to rein in the Kurdish fighters so this has been a constant uh, the same applies to the the border with Iraq because from Iraq and Syria there were always groups of Kurdish fighters that would uh, let's say uh, attack Turkey which is not the case now but I mean this has been a constant that uh, they feel uh, the Turks also have this kind of obsidian. Complex like they feel they are surrounded by enemies, and it's very important for them like to feel that they can have this security uh, border zone uh, again, also in Iraq, but especially in Syria now. So I mean, it, it's not something new now. The the real problem for for the EU or for Trump is that you have two allies in the area like uh, Turkey, which has been a NATO ally. a pretty stable one uh, on one side since decades and on the other side, like groups of Kurdish fighters who have been supporting uh, the Western forces uh, against ISIS. So what do you do when your two allies are fighting each other? I mean, but in the end, which one is the more important, the more stable, the more powerful? I mean, so... Whatever the game is, yes, there will be threats of sanction. There may be some sanction, but in the end, if you look in the long term uh, at the geostrategy, I mean, you can conclude that well, uh, Turkey will go on, and yes, obviously everybody will try to moderate their attacks. Uh, but but what can they do in we,
0: the end? We have the wider issue as well, there, don't we? That we can no longer rely upon the United States even to say the same thing in the space of twenty-four hours. I mean, we had Donald Trump withdrawing the, the troops from northeastern Syria and then already we have the defense secretary mark Esper warning of serious consequences and there have been warnings of economic sanctions from the u.s two completely different messages think, coming out of the i think way, in this though.
1: scenario you have to entirely separate donald trump and his twitter account with the rest of the american government i think it really is you know he blindsided them with this there was no discussion of this he was worried he watched the sunday shows impeachment was not going away you know so many stories have faded in his time this was getting bigger and wider and enveloping more people and we've seen that this week you know he's starting to throw rudy giuliani Giuliani under the bus as well he this is pure distraction it is dead cat strategies if you throw a dead cat on the table no matter what you're talking about you've suddenly got to talk about this dead cat that is you know a political strategy that linton crosby famously in the uk has been using for a couple of years But Donald Trump is trying to distract from that impeachment and he's always concerned about his own hustle. He wants a Trump Tower in Istanbul. That's it. He likes a strong man. In Erdogan and he thinks he can get a Trump tower. That is it. So he'll do what Erdogan has said. He's played a blind one and convinced him to do this. There is no strategy about protecting the Kurds. He doesn't even understand who the Kurds are. You know, he falsely said this week, well, they're not our allies. They went with us at Normandy, which is the most flippant thing ever. <laughs> it's like, well, Ireland <laughs> was neutral in World War II as well. So they're no longer are allies. But also, there was bands of Kurdish fighters fighting in the Second World War under Britain as well. So it's, you know, it's just historically wrong uh, and he has no concern you know his tweet that he you have to remember that everything for him is a reality show plotline. you know he is a kardashian president and so all he thought was this guy was saying oh yeah you know just let us go back in maybe help you with your tower probably in a coded way uh, and then he you know all he's thought about this week is he's got two of the remaining members of the so-called Beatles, the kind of group that did all the videos of the headings who were British citizens, who were being stripped of their British citizenship, they were in a prison. So, you know, we've got thousands of ISIS fighters. All he's done is pluck out those two to take them, to create some kind of moment in the next couple of weeks where he's going to say, I'm bringing the justice against these guys who murdered US journalist uh, James Foley. You know, he's not caring. He's, he's, you know, he's not caring that there's going to be thousands of ISIS fighters that can suddenly get into Europe if the Kurds can no longer protect those prisons because they've got to fight Turkey. And he, you know, he's, he's just like, well, they're not coming. His statements this week were like, like, well, they're not coming here, you know, that's for Europe to deal with. You know, this is, it it is in, you know, America, and it's amazing that Lindsey Graham, the uh, the congressman from, I think, South Carolina, who has been a staunch defender of Trump, really flayed himself for Trump. This crossed the line, even with him, and he's been one of the most vociferous attackers. um, And we'll see whether kind of Congress, you know, this could be the moment where even they decide it's not worth sticking up for this guy. Mitt Romney, you know, strongly came out and chastised the president. Um, and we'll see if many of them now decide, you know, with impeachment creeping up, even a Fox News poll this week said 51% now want impeachment and removal. If that number keeps creeping up on impeachment, I think we'll see stronger action by Congress to put real sanctions and try to stop Turkey.
0: That's, the, that's America's internal issues that it has to sort of resolve, but in the meantime, we have the European Union, arguably the only body that can properly stand up to Erdogan at the moment, because we we have this threat of him sending uh, millions of refugees your way. I think that was that was his description. Uh, France has now decided to uh, consider imposing sanctions against Turkey. But how much influence can the EU have?
2: I think none. <laughs> no, why? Because I mean, uh, the EU has have this ambiguous role towards Turkey for years and years they said uh, we would like you to be part of the club but then there was such reluctance I mean they they played this game for decades and now Turkey really abandoned the idea of to be a member I mean Cesar Erdogan is in power so what can they do I mean Uh, As I said, like, EU will still need Erdogan as an ally, as a NATO ally, you know, they are not going to dump him completely. So then yes, they can say we impose some sanction. I think already Netherlands said that they they wouldn't uh, send them uh, weapons, you know, which I'm not sure it's uh, the biggest uh, a source of weapons for Turkey anyway so you, you can have that again that that kind of reaction but in the end uh, I mean the priority for Erdogan would be the security of the country and he, he won't he won't change any anything in, in what he's doing yep. uh, I'm pretty convinced like maybe he will shorten the offensive one or two days I don't know I mean but as long as the Turkish army won't consider they reach their goal they won't change uh, they won't change direction. Why, why would they I mean they had kind of uh, okay they, they expression has been debated. Green light from Trump. Uh, and that's it. So, uh, as Nick said, yes, Trump is changing. So, Look, like he said, why not? I mean, we don't care about the Kurds. Then he realized like uh, the world reaction is a bit stronger than you expect. He said, oh, well, you know, no, it's not good what he's doing. Oh, But yes, but he's already a lie. So, you know, there is this balancing because, yeah, he goes with the wind and mm-hmm, maybe uh, I should be more careful in, in the way I tweet uh, and talk. But in the end, the reality is like uh, there is this kind of situation where the U.S. said to Turkey, OK, we leave it to you. You're listening
0: to Monocle's House. we here with Emma Nelson. Vincent McAvinney and Florence Spiderman. Right, we've got a few minutes to go through the newspapers. Uh, what has everybody found this morning? Um, yesterday, it was all full of Leo Varadkar. Who's, who's the poster, boy or girl, today? Boris Johnson.
1: Oh, I mean, I thought we were going on to other stories. Sorry. No, 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 no. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, Boris Johnson is all over the papers. There's a lot as well about uh, Jeremy Corbyn because John McDonnell, who's his effective deputy, gave an interview yesterday, funnily enough, to Alistair Campbell, the former Labour spin doctor, in which he said if they lose the general election, the two of them will stand down, which is uh, quite an interesting signal. But they've said that John McDonnell says he thinks Labour should have its first female leader next. So, I mean, that... For many people, will give them less incentive to vote Labour in the election, and probably vote Lib Dem because they don't want Jeremy Corbyn to carry on uh, after losing another election. He's already been through one that he kind of managed to survive. So there's quite a bit in the papers about that as well.
0: Um, tell us a little bit. I mean, this is one of the great existential issues of Britain at the moment. That not only are we trying to sort ourselves out with our relationship with the European Union, Florence, we actually don't have really a clue who who our political allies are and who we can follow in the United Kingdom anymore, can we? And when you have such a fractured political system, it's incredibly difficult to get anything done.
2: Yeah, as uh, Macron said, well, this is an internal British politics uh, question. So, I mean, uh, I mean, the EU is just, is just watching and waiting for, for something to, to come out of uh, of this mess, I would say.
1: I think as well, it's going to be such a messy week because, I mean, so there's a picture here in The Times of rehearsals with the Queen's carriage being pulled by horses down Whitehall. Um, you know, we're gonna. <laughs> on, so on Monday, we'll have a full, you know, the state opening of parliament with the Queen's speech, full pomp and ceremony. You know, Extinction Rebellion are continuing to protest, so that's going to be there. We then. You think they're going to stop walk. the carriage? <laughs> well, I can see them, yeah, I can see them trying to do something. I mean, it's going to be quite, you know, it's going. To, it's just so funny that all of this chaos, the world is going to see this image of the Queen, you know, being dragged to Parliament in this carriage. That's to why deliver she's a so speech. important. Like, yeah. you get the feeling of stability. I think, exactly. I think we've yeah. got the
0: ultimate Venn diagram of news occurring there now, because um, when you talk to journalists at the moment, you say, How are you? and you get one word, which was. Brexit. not. I mean, there's no emotion I- expressed anymore. That just sums up everything that, we're, that everybody's going through. And then you just get this, oh no, but I did something different this week, and everybody's <laughs> eyes light up. And I say, what is it? And they say, extinction rebellion. So if we can actually have a moment when we get the monarch brexit and extinction rebellion in one
2: neat little moment i think everybody might just i don't know where where we need now is
1: another Colleen rooney hit you know she needs to solve another crime
2: But on on the french side we have another story that popped up and it's also the the front page of uh, not front page because it is not printed yet but it will be a flemonde and you you mentioned a poster boy i mean it's this incredible story of the guy who uh, killed his whole family uh, his four children his wife and uh, managed to to vanish for 8 years and uh, he has been arrested yesterday evening uh, in Scotland, uh, in Glasgow, at the Glasgow airport. So this is really the, the big story for, for French media and for Le Monde this morning. It is. It's a gentleman called Xavier Dupont, isn't he? And he's, Dupont de Ligonnès. It's kind you know, of it. this guy of s- small, noble family, very Christian, very Catholic. And, and suddenly, I mean, suddenly uh, the whole family vanishes. And suddenly the police is looking for the family and found the remains, the bodies of the wife and children, but not him. Uh, and that's it. So that's kind of a, an incredible story. And this is what really uh, supersedes Brexit right now in the French <laughs> media. Well, not for long, I'm sure. No,
0: <sighs> it'll, it'll come back. But this is an astonishing story, given the fact that he van- this all happened in 2011. And they've managed to trace him digitally. To, to, to Scotland.
2: I mean, it's an astonishing story. Apparently, that was a tip. This is what I understand. A tip was given to, to the French police. Where does it come from? I have no idea at this stage. And exactly. that's when they warned their Scottish colleagues.
0: I wonder what this gentleman said. Well, perhaps not a gentleman if he's if he's done what he's accused of doing, but of saying, uh, of saying. oh, and by the way, I'm on the run for something that I'm accused of doing, which is quite nasty, quite a long time ago. What else have you found,
1: Vincent? Uh, in- interesting little piece in The Times. The UK, uh, like many countries, is struggling with with vaccination at the moment. Uh, And so you've got this idea floating around uh, that the uh, UK school system might now stop any children being allowed to go to school who haven't had the MMR vaccine uh, there's also pressure coming on kind of, you know, the digital companies, Facebook and the like to stop the spread of anti-vax information. Uh, and But also there's a problem that the supply is also because our health system is such a strain, it's hard to get GP appointments. It's talking about part of this campaign needs to be that the vaccinations just need to be kind of provided in pharmacists as well to try and get people over the line, uh, you know, to make sure that we're at the necessary percentage I think 98% of vaccination needed to keep the herd immunity or so. So that's something that, You know, many countries are struggling with, and I really still can't understand why social media companies uh, allow false medical information to be shared so rapidly, you know, they should all have public health officers who shut this down, you know, what's the benefit for them from it? Uh, uh, you know, there is none. The detriment to their society and the detriment to their reputation is, is you know, really bad.
0: And um, one thing that, that struck me is the image of Richard Ratcliffe, whose wife Nazanin Zaghari-Ratcliffe is currently being held as a dual national in an Iranian prison. She's been sentenced to five years for espionage, something which a lot of people have campaigned to say she's absolutely innocent from. Of their daughter has been brought back from Iran now to start life in. Uh, as at school, she's old enough now to go to school, and when you see this, it's an astonishing idea that you can distil huge geopolitical problems into just the face of a five-year-old and her and her father. It's incredibly touching and a very powerful story.
2: It is indeed, and when you see also like this is one of the example of uh, uh, British national or uh, dual national being detained in Iran, but uh, there are also many others. And what I fear somehow in this story, which is really, uh, as you said, very, very sad, is that the fact that there was so much publicity around Nazanin Ratcliffe's case that she became a more precious pawn for, for the Iranians. So I'm afraid the poor woman will have to to stay another few years in, in Iran jails.
1: Yeah, but I, I mean, I think as well, it's worth, you know, Richard Ratcliffe, I've interviewed him since this happened. He is the most patient man i have ever met in my life i've never seen him get cross even when boris johnson entirely messed up this case a couple of years ago by misspeaking about her and making it worse he is so patient i think he handled this press conference yesterday uh so well you know little gabriella she's five you know she hadn't been in the UK, since she was a baby, effectively, she doesn't at the moment have English. Uh, and, you know, she came out and brought, uh, you know, she had a welcome home cake and she was offering it to people at this press conference. It was a very well-managed event, a very public, you know, event. Uh, and to show her, I think, was important because it does put pressure. But this is the problem. He, you know, in conversations I had with him, he said there are others out there who are advised by the Home Office, by the Foreign Office, don't talk about it. We we'll, might be able to get them back. Keep a low profile. But you know his strategy because Iran actually promoted her case. They did a TV show about it and everything. You know he's had to be very public about it, and it has raised her you know level as a as a bargaining chip up. But I mean it 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 is it's you know it's very hard now, and I just I'm it's incredibly worrying because she, she did have contact with Gabriella at times and now without that kind of lifeline to her life back here it will be challenging but it is the right thing to do to have brought her back.
0: Vincent McAvinney and Florence Biederman thank you very much indeed for joining me on Monocle's House View. That's all we have time for today's programme thanks to our supervising producer Ben Ryland, our researcher Julia Webster and our studio manager Nora Hull. I'm Emma Nelson goodbye thank you very much for listening.